0: House, let me hear your bar. Let me see your bite. Let me see your scar. You know what we about. Let's see this in the yard. This is warm. Don't look for heart. Dogs in the house. 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 Hello and welcome to All We Hear Is Purple, where the third or fourth most mediocre Husky football podcast on the internet. I am Andrew Berg. I'm a bit hoarse. I apologize for my voice. Joining us today is Gaby Lucas. Gaby, welcome.
1: Hello. How uh, are you? I assume you're hoarse just because it's like six in the morning in Luxembourg now, and that's part that's of it.
0: Yes. Now your yes. life. Our uh, invisible podcast that got eaten last week discussed this a little bit, but my family and I um, took jobs in Luxembourg, and we're going to live here for a couple years. Uh, so I'm recording super early in the morning and Gabby and producer Colin are staying up at night. So uh, we'll make it work. But I was able to find the Apple Cup, which was lucky. I spent like two hours the day before trying to make sure I had a way to watch it uh, and figured something out. It didn't work perfectly, but I was able to see most of the game and it was awesome. Uh, what did you think, Gabby? Just give me you know, a, a quick emotional reaction to what you saw in the Apple Cup.
1: Well, if it makes you feel any better, I lost the last like six minutes of game clocks worth of game so like really like 20 minutes maybe more than that maybe it was like the last 10 minutes of the game or whatever like we were up by was it like two points or maybe we were tied i don't remember and then like the power goes off and anyone who follows us on twitter saw me descend into into unhinged madness uh and and so you probably like so it, on in in you probably had a better like my my product was better but it really cut off at a very inconvenient time but I think it was honestly this way was better for my my me- my mental health because this way I was like like just triangulating. I was scrolling through Twitter and like constantly hitting refresh and just triangulating based on what I was seeing there and like reverse engineering that to figure out what the shit was going on and and like that whole game was so so horrifically stressful and and i was watching with my aunt and uncle so it was a husky coog and an eag side by side and like you know you can't get too uh emotive in that scenario because um they're family who you very much like and you don't want the the coog anyway to end up uh, punching you in the face <laughs> so when the when the power went out
0: that's I obviously, one, one of the few things they can do effectively
1: yeah <laughs> um I, I was like okay this this might be for the best do i like it no is it good for me probably and then it came it came back on uh with like a minute a minute or a minute and a half left but it was um a very yeah it was a lot
0: to handle. Yeah. I My experience was that we were severely jet lagged from our, our flight across the world. And my whole family had colds and continue to have colds. Uh, But my, my daughter in particular was super sick that night and she's three and a half years old and, and slept like she was a newborn where she'd be up every hour or two hours, just wailing. Um, so so fun. <laughs> uh, my plan was to get up at like five 30 or six the game started at 4.30 um, Central European time. I wanted to watch as much of it live as I could. Um, I, I That didn't happen. I ended up getting up at um, about 8 and skipping back to the beginning and watching as much as I could, but I, I saw very little of it live. But it's easier to avoid spoilers when you uh, are at completely different times than everybody else.
1: That's true. Uh, but
0: So I, I mentioned that we had a, an episode that, that we had audio issues last week. Um, it was producer Colin and I. And we talked about, there's obviously an Apple Cup preview. We talked about how this felt more like a 50-50 game than any Apple Cup in probably the last decade, probably since Steve Sarkeesian was the coach, um, partially due to the weird mismatch between the Pete Kwiatkowski defense and the Mike Leach offense, but then also last year being so horribly slanted away from the Huskies due to internal dysfunction and the first half of the game what, did play like that. It was a one-point game at halftime, back and forth, just a bunch of weird plays. Then uh, the second half, our defense got enough stops, outscored WSU twenty-four to six in the second half, and ended up winning the game fairly comfortably. It, you know, I'm obviously you know with the caveat that you were uh, trying to fight through some power issues. What was the big d- difference in the second half? We went from giving up twenty-eight points in the first half to six. In the second half, what was it that changed? I mean, obviously, the four for four on fourth downs isn't something that's going to be replicated every half of football you play. Mm -hmm. But what was the big difference for you in the second half?
1: You know, I think I I think we just had a perfect example of the like the availability heuristic right there, because your takeaway by the end of it is like, well, we won. It was relatively comfortable. But because I didn't see any of the parts <laughs> where we got, like, carried away, my only memory is, like, that was not fun. I hated it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is definitely how I felt when, you know, I, I guess up to the point when Peyton Henry missed that extra point, that would have put us up two possessions. Uh, oh, yeah. I still was still feeling like, oh, this is way more uncomfortable than I want it to be.
1: Yeah. Um. As for the actual, you know, like, the actual on-field stuff, though – um, I think that's just a case of when you have two, you know, when you have two competing sets of whatever, you know, of what of whatever input variables they are, and one of them should be superior, you know, you should be getting a, a, a superior or like that should be the winning result, you know, in one um like you know, if you're rolling the dice with both those adjusted adjusted for those variables once. Like then, quote unquote, the underdog, whatever you want to call it, yeah. Like they can, they can pull off up an upset once, but the the more data points you get, the more those ostensibly superior variables should build on each other. And so that's like, I think, I think people tend to assign a sort of a a an amount of mysticism to college football because it's such a romantic, and kind chi- and chaotic, <laughs> very chaotic, um, yeah. sport. Uh, in so many ways, and so we like to think that like um I mean any anything can happen like that is true, but anything is not most likely to happen and so when you look at one if I think looking at at games between two teams where either one team has a much higher talent level or one team, maybe their talent levels are relatively comparable, but like one team is just much better coached every single drive, every single play that you continue those on like in this case, that's pretty much what happened for UW. Like it wasn't a matter of it pretty much was a matter of like what you said. Like an example of that is you going four for four on fourth downs. Like that's the longer you play that out, the more chances they have for fourth down, the less likely they are to continue that pace. And I think that's kind of what that was an example of. Um and so I to me that's kind of what this game represented. Um and that's not saying I had fun be- <laughs> wanting to rely on like Reminding myself, the longer this, or the the more possessions we get, the more likely are to win. We are to win. Like that didn't really, uh, I should I should say using objective things and uh, probability it isn't that comforting on an emotional level yeah. in the moment. But yeah, that's kind of what that was to me.
0: I think it's you're right that that has been a deliberate strategy, both offensively and defensively to play aggressively to increase the number of possessions in the game, uh, and to kind of let the quality win out over a larger number of a larger sample size, which is especially crazy. I mean, we can use all the superlatives we, we want, and we we've done it through the year, but getting to 10 wins from four wins a year ago to take over a team that won four games and looked like absolute, you know, horse crap on offense all last year. Um, and say, I think what we need to do is just play a lot longer games and reduce the, the mm-hmm. uh, variability in these games. Is such yeah. a bold strategy, and the fact that it ended up working is credit to the coaching staff.
1: Sure. But, I, I think you – know, oh, sorry, yeah.
0: go on. I was say, I mean, it's, it's very strongly in evidence here, playing against a defense that's kind of, by consensus, maybe the second-best defense in the conference. And it, we went for over 700 yards – over 200 rushing yards. Uh, McMillan and Adunze both had 150 receiving yards. Uh, Michael Penix was brilliant again, uh, you know, the one interception, but uh, for the most part was just phenomenal. Uh, you know, there's not much more to say about the individual performances offensively. I, this was second week in a row where it felt like the offensive line was not just great pass blocking, but is finding a groove run blocking, and there were just huge, huge, lanes opening up to run kind of whenever they wanted it. Um, and I know that that's, you know, those two things come in tandem that we pass the ball well and it opens up opportunities to run. But is there anything else to add about how just incredibly balanced and effective and, and just like crushing this offense has become in the first year under this coaching staff?
1: Yeah, I think well, I have two thoughts. And one of them is um, like what you mentioned about taking that roster that went for and, a gazillion and being like yeah we should play as fast as possible not as fast as possible but we should play faster than not because we know that we have the athletes to to make that you know work in our favor um I think that totally though you know if you're somebody who follows recruiting um that totally makes sense like it's just about about again data points of every single player that you have who's above average or above your, your opponents. Like when you spread out, out across 11 guys and then 11 more on the other, you know, on the other platoon, like it, it, it makes sense that, that you could really do that. And so when, when you look at what Kalen DeBoer, like what, what he, I don't want to say inherited but his ability to come into this situation and be like, all right, I know that this team was playing so far below the sum of their parts that we don't even like, we don't need to overhaul who is here. Like we can do exactly what we want with who we have. Um, so I, I, uh, want to give him credit for that. Um, but then as far as going back to what, you know, what, what you just finished talking about, um, yeah, I really love the offensive line so much. And I think they they are, um, I wrote about this this week, but Scott Huff, um I love seeing him be um, uh, I, I just love seeing his turnaround and pretty much prove I love seeing him prove that he was um, you know, that essentially the results of having an offensive line the last eight years. Maybe not 2016, um, but other than 2016, that was less than that played lower than their talent level. Um, that that was a result of the influences of you know the other variables in that performance. So primarily the 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 offensive schemes he was given to work with, the blocking philosophies he was given to work with, and so then to see him be put in a situation where he can finally get the most out of his guys is. So i I'm just really happy for that whole room, and I'm happy for him to <laughs> to be able to turn that that around and and prove that actually he can be he is you know maybe he is he's just as good of a coach as he is a recruiter, um which that's the other thing is i I know a lot of us <laughs> in the offseat or in the you know when during the staff turnaround we're like, oh man, like he's, yeah, if he's we're gonna he's keep so one. <laughs> good at recruiting. <laughs> Well, maybe maybe he can be a good coach too in in a better scheme. Blah blah blah. It would suck to lose him for the recruiting. But like we were kind of, I feel like everyone was equivocating, like (laughs) trying to justify it both ways inside our head. But um, yeah, I also thought that this was the offensive line's best run blocking game of the season, like and by far, I think, for all the reasons you said, because they had been so like so so good at pass protection and they hadn't been bad at run blocking it's just that they hadn't been not good in short yardage and they hadn't been they, the run blocking was clearly worse than the the pass protection and and I think that's something that kind of makes a lot of our brains short circuit when you see that because when you ever whenever you ask an offensive lineman like what's your favorite part of the job it's always like it's all it's always run blocking like it's always just shoving yeah. dudes out of the way and so to see them be really good at the part that's the part of their job that they generally say isn't the fun part <laughs> i think it, it throws everybody for a loop and it makes us not super great at evaluating um but yeah i totally agree with what you said that i i just seeing seeing how they were were really able to create those running lanes and everything was really satisfying to watch
0: yeah yeah and i i do want to talk a little bit about how the defense turned around in the second half as well mm-hmm. it wasn't you know obviously a perfect performance by any stretch they did give up 31 points to an offense that's been up and down through the year but you know kind of around the edges you can see how they did just enough to eventually make it a, a failure they gave up 33 points i guess I said 31 um mm-hmm. but there were enough things around the edges uh jeremiah martin had two more sacks he's been such an unsung hero for the defense overall there were six sacks 11 tackles for loss that'll make up for a lot of shortcomings also a lot of penalties in the game I think 10 penalties for over 100 yards but I think Martin was also named uh, Pac-12 defensive lineman of the week this week you know I I just want to talk about him for a minute because he came into the year we all kind of thought of him as kind of the third uh, defensive end or, or edge player on the roster behind ZTF and Braylon Trice and he's probably been – I mean, Trice has been phenomenal this year, but Martin has been such important glue and come up with really timely plays through the year, and and statistically he's been really good as well. So I, I think it's it's kind of hard to overlook him when we talk about uh, how this team gets to 10 wins and so many close games and times when the defense made really important timely plays that did allow the offense to kind of stretch out the game and make all the difference-making plays – was there anything about Martin or anybody else defensively that really stood out to you in this one?
1: Um yeah, I don't think there's any one player necessarily. Although I do love what you said about Martin too cuz I feel like he has been such a like yeah, kind of unsung hero. I he definitely does. I don't I definitely I agree with you. He definitely doesn't get enough credit. Um um it, just cuz I feel like he yeah, he does a lot of the dirty stuff well, and he doesn't necessarily have those crazy flashy sacks. But he just, I th- I feel like he's he's somebody where when you want your defensive line and your edge rushers to be working kind of cohesively as a unit, like he is a pr- really good at at kind of being that being that glue. Um, otherwise, I think I don't know. I, I mean, other than, I mean, on the negative side, um. Like the the tackling, is, I I think that is the most important thing to fix in the off season, like bar none. Um, but yeah, I think as far as as far as like the positive things, kind of like what you said, where do kind of doing just enough where where you know like if if they they only need to get a couple stops, they just need to hold in there and and or hang excuse me hang in there and kind of hold the line and let their offense do do the rest. And and for what it's worth, I also think they do need need to need credit for like for everything that kept Wazzu in the game. So much of it was stuff that a defense is 99% of the time never going to have to deal with. They aren't going to have to deal with a fake punt. They aren't going to have to deal with four <laughs> um attempts to convert on fourth down. Um they aren't and also for what it's worth, like I think Cam Ward was I, he, he was so Russell Wilson-y, like halfway through the first Mm -hmm. quarter, I turned to my aunt and was like, this might make you hate me or really love me, but this guy is like Russell Wilson in that you and I, neither of us are having fun (laughs) because he, I'm not having fun because he keeps getting out of sacks. You're not having fun because it's in the most stressful way possible. Um, So I, I think that, that, I mean, what they were tasked with doing was quite difficult and you know they did it so um for in that you know all things considered with that like hell yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I think I think the main thing though for me is like if they if they and this isn't on any one person like this is on the coaching because it is so across the board um if they like if they had even average tackling this game wouldn't have been close i don't think um because they did they did a lot so many things well otherwise obviously the secondary got beat a lot but other than that like the the front the front seven like did a great job with so many other things and this had had just enough go wrong for that those things to not matter as much as they normally would but if you have that offense and that you know defensive or i should always say pass rush anyway um if you tack on even average tackling on that, like this team is is would be a, a playoff team. Um, I'll, you know I don't think that's like that controversial to say when you look at the margin of error for UCLA and yes, ASU who they shouldn't have lost to, they had no business losing to, but um, it, you know at the very least they beat Oregon pretty like handily. Not handily. I think Oregon fans, the one Oregon fan who listens to this out of some sort of weird masochistic thing will hear that and get pissed off. Not handily, but it wouldn't, it would have been much more comfortable. This game would have been much more comfortable. Um, It's, it's, it's when you look at that one fundamental skill that's missing, that is the most fundamental, most important fundamental thing in all of football. Like if, if they, if they improve that, then like this team is, really really good in the future
0: yeah i think that's true it, colin and i talked about that a little bit last week too in the uh Deboer extension conversation about how you know it, we'll talk in part two today about um, what's around the corner for the huskies and and um draft decisions and things like that but there will be a time when DeBoer is coaching this team without penix odunze and mcmillan uh among others and we talked about how you're probably not going to maintain this level of offensive performance with every yeah. personnel group, but you can maintain this overall level of success by kind of improving your defense from bad to okay, and that's an easier step to make than maintaining your offense at elite. You know, yeah. like that, that catching up on the on the back end, and yeah. uh, and I mean, obviously, I think they're aware that that's the area that needs the improvement most urgently, and yeah. we've seen it in 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 stints this year. We've seen flashes of it, uh, and now it's kind of like getting the depth and the right guys in the right positions to do it more consistently. And you're absolutely right that tackling and being more physical is part of that, forcing more turnovers is part of it. Um, you know, being in the right positions, covering on on third and long and fourth and long is part of it. But yeah. uh, it's encouraging that we we are able to see it at least at times.
1: Yeah, and I will add also that I think it's even more what you said about it's easier to take your defense from bad to okay than maintain your offense at like an an absolutely insane level. I think that's even more true because it I, if you're if you look at the if you break apart the defense, it's not it's not like you're looking at this flaming tire fire everywhere. It's just there's a couple things, and it's tackling, um, and you know secondary execution um and i think it was terry Holloman who yeah on twitter i think it was him who said on twitter he was like i don't even remember the last time i saw someone in position to make an interception like not even to yeah. not even the last time i saw an interception i just don't even remember the last time i saw one person even putting themselves vaguely in that area um and so it's like just improving you know even if you don't improve the secondary which ideally you would but like it's just you have when you look at like the pass rush is really good that the the um defensive interior isn't like dominant but it gets the job done the linebackers are obviously improved from last year there's just a couple little tweaks that would take that the end result of much of that defense from that to pretty all right um mm-hmm. so it's not like this complete massive overhaul you have to do you know
0: yeah i agree and and you know especially with the transfer portal it's much easier to get an infusion of fit and talent than it would have been in the past. Well, let's uh, wrap up our Apple Cup conversation there. It's great uh, to have won the game. The highlight of the game for me was ZTF doing the um, mm. pantomime flag planting. That was such a funny thing to do and, That's and you know, not offensive, but good level of trolling. Yeah, uh, well, I don't know. Amazing. Ryan Grubb saying we went 9 and 0 on at, at home was also amazing. Yeah. Uh, but but let's let's uh, celebrate those things, take a break, and we're going to talk about what comes next for the rest of the year and beyond. Thanks for sticking with us. As promised, we're going to talk about what is around the corner for the Huskies for the rest of 2022. The immediate future is anticipating a bowl game, uh, and that relies heavily on what happens in the Pac-12 title game this Friday. Uh, USC and Utah play their rematch. Utah won narrowly uh, in Utah early in the year. What do you think, what what are you anticipating in this game with college football playoff on the line for one loss USC? Utah has had more ups and downs this year. They already have three losses, but obviously very dangerous and probably relatively evenly matched. What do you think is going to happen here?
1: Yeah, um, sorry, I'm bringing up Utah's football schedule just for a second look. I think, I think more. I put it at seventy thirty that USC wins. Wait, where's their third loss? Oh, UCLA, right? Yeah, yeah. I'd put it. I, I, I'd say seventy or yeah, sixty five thirty five. Um,
0: 64-36.
1: <laughs> yeah, because it it feels, it's kind of funky because I think Utah's a better, it's like a more well rounded team. But like USC has, um, like its its strengths are much higher. It's whatever the opposite of strength weaknesses, yeah, are more are profound. much worse. Yeah. Um, but but I think so. When you look, if you were to just think of th- those two matchups, like I think it could be kind of a coin flip of like the more well rounded versus that. But then when you consider those things and then add the talent that USC has. I think in the fact that it's hard for a team to win as an underdog once, it's harder for them to win as an underdog twice. I think I would have to go narrowly USC. Um, It's again, it's like the data points thing where the more you stack them up, the more the team that quote unquote should win, which isn't my assessment. That's just primarily raw talent talking. And the fact that USC finally has a coach for the first time in the decade, who knows how to not just light that talent on fire and waste it in a terrible, terrible, just the most wasteful use of (laughs) human resource that has ever existed. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty much where I'm coming from the angle I'm coming from with that.
0: Yeah. I think if you want to talk about the matchups a little bit, obviously USC's defense has been, both these teams defenses have been vulnerable for a lot of the year, Mm -hmm. uh, as a lot of the PAC 12 has, we've talked about before, um, Utah has had big ups and downs this year due to health and availability issues. There have been times when you know, you know like Cam Rising missed that WSU game kind of out of the blue, and mm-hmm. uh, Brent Keithy and Dalton Kincaid and uh, Tavion Thomas now is is away from the team. Uh, so it's been kind of who's who is healthy to play and available to play makes a big difference. Uh, it seems like the ability to run on this USC defense can slow down their crazy passing attack, um, which is helpful. And I don't know if that's going to be as easy for Utah to do without Tavian Thomas available. Um, They still have other um, good running backs. Uh, Bernard is a very good player, Makai Bernard, and and Rising can scramble himself quite a bit. Mm. At the same time, uh, winning by one point on a two-point conversion in the last minute, is a win but it's not doesn't have that much predictive value to me. Yeah. Like that that game does it doesn't it mean that Utah is like inherently worse if the two point conversion doesn't work and this this game is predetermined in the other direction, probably not. Um and I I'm having trouble deciding how much of my prediction here is swayed by my own um uh, <laughs> desire to see this game go a certain way, uh which is crazy because in never in a million years would I be cheering for USC over UCLA, but now we're in this position where if USC wins, UW is likely going to the Rose bowl to play uh, either Ohio state, or now we've heard rumors, Penn state might end up as the big 10 representative, or if Utah wins the game, uh, UW is likely going to the Alamo bowl, uh, which is a pretty big step down um, in terms of prestige, even if a, a possible matchup with Texas would still be very, very fun. Um, So I I don't know how much my opinion is colored by that, but I am interested to hear if, um, you know, do you have really strong feelings about a potential bowl matchup or bowl destination? Would you be crestfallen if we end up uh, heading back to San Antonio um, for the first time in however many years?
1: Yeah. Well, two things, two things. One, as far as like my own, obviously our rooting interests are for USC solely so that, you you know, if you want to get UW in the Rose Bowl, which is, of course, awesome, and you pretty much should. But I will say that in my mind, this conference championship is kind of like the best of both worlds, no matter what happens, because either USC wins, and then we maybe get to go to the Rose Bowl, sacrifice USC to the playoff, um, where they will get their face smashed in, and then we get to have fun, or USC losses, in which case, fuck you for leaving to the Big Ten. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Suck it. And now, by the way, you're probably never going to win that because Michigan and Ohio State are both rolling and you're having to fly 2,000 miles every week. Um, anywho, so there's that. Uh, <laughs> and anybody
0: that is listening to this can hear my voice and you know what flying 4,000 miles will do to your <laughs> ability yeah. to perform.
1: When what, And you know what I find that I really perform at my physical peak when I'm exhausted, cramped from a plane, and that's at five foot eight, by the way. And not six foot six, or you know, um, and dehydrated from the plane, three hours or two hours ahead of schedule. Really, you, you cannot, you cannot find me functioning better than in those circumstances. I'm sure that 85, 18 to 22 year old men will also be the same. Um, what was the question?
0: <laughs> oh,
1: rooting <laughs> Just, it or,
0: or yeah roles. or. I... Yeah. I mean, I guess I look at it, if you told me at the start of the year, you're going to go, forget record and, and how we get here, but you're going to go to the Alamo Bowl as the uh, Pac-12's number three um, bowl representative, and you're going to play against Steve Sarkeesian's Texas team. I would have been like, that's amazing. That's so close to like the best possible scenario for this season. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, it's a consolation prize. It would be kind of disappointing, but you know, I'd still be up for it because playing Sark and Coach K uh, in a a bowl game where we have some fun history and being, you know, two teams with kind of really fun offenses and very questionable defenses, Mm -hmm. it's hard not to think about Sark on the other sideline and that Alamo Bowl against Baylor and RG3. And are we going to have another, whatever that game ended up, 67 to 52, uh, 1,200-yard game? Like, that would also be fun. But how big of a step down is it for you? Yeah,
1: I think my thought process is I'm I'm not getting like, yeah, I'm I'm just not getting too hung up on where we end up. Like this seems like something I feel like I should be a, a cratch, crappy cliched football coach right now because I'm like in my mind I'm like you can only control what you can control. Blah blah blah. So I'm not getting too caught up on like oh we really like I obviously I want us to go to the Rose Bowl like that's no kidding um that's option number one it's obviously my number one pick but I think regardless of um where we end up like if they if they end up at the Alamo Bowl or whatever lower bowl like I think that'll be a fun game because simply because whoever we play a if it's like Texas that would be rad as hell because it'd be fun to ideally beat Sark and blah 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 but also, it's just it would also just be really fun to watch Utah probably um, curb not somebody. <laughs> like it would be really fun to watch. Um, obviously, uh, the Rose Bowl is is uh, more fun, is the most fun. But like watching Michael Penix and Rome and J Mac just like really go to town on on a on a lesser defense, that would be a pretty good consolation prize. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't know if we would curb stomp Texas. I think Texas is pretty good. They play yeah, a Yeah, really that, that was um, all
1: yeah, theoretical. But
0: I I have a weird feeling about this because in past years, when like the the Chris Peterson years, we went to the uh, Rose Bowl, went to the Peach Bowl, uh, went to the what was the other uh, the, oh, the Penn Fiesta State B- game, the Fiesta Bowl. That was that was was that the, that was but, the Penn State. game. That was game. Penn State. Yeah. Yeah. I,
1: Mike Trussiggi still gives me nightmares.
0: Yeah, that's right. And I I think about those games and going into those games, I was just like nervous. I was like, Mm -hmm. I don't, we don't have the talent to match up against these teams. I don't know if like the scheme and the the good coaching and the discipline is going to be enough to keep up. And then the games kind of played out that way. Like we didn't really keep up. Um, And this year, like we're going to play Ohio State and I'm thinking like, well, we're not as good as them, but it would be pretty fun to just, you know, see if we can throw for 500 yards against them. And yeah. It, who knows what happens? We've had some weird games this year. Maybe it plays out kind of like the Oregon game did, where they make a they stub their toe a couple times, and you know, one in ten times we end up winning the game on a last second field goal. Yeah. That would be amazing. Yeah. Uh, and maybe it just feels more like we're playing with house money because we're at the very early stages of building this program. But um, I, I have no fear of losing to a, a superior team right now.
1: I completely feel the same. We are agreeing with each other a shocking amount. And that's saying something because we tend to agree with each other, which I'm sure makes for—correct me if I'm wrong, listener—very yeah. entertaining content. But start
0: insulting your cats to get some um, yeah. some heat into this podcast.
1: Yeah, um, but yeah, no, that's kind of t- exactly how how I felt then, like because even 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 though you know you'd have starting around like seventeen, eighteen, but even especially past then, like um, had had a pretty had quite a high talent level compared to most of the country but then when you end up when you start getting to those top tier bowls that that's still your talent level like just from a raw talent perspective like really really was at a disadvantage um even against like penn even against teams that aren't ohio state or alabama like penn state you know even against penn state they were working from a talent advantage and that's not controversial to say that um and versus now it's it feels like i mean a, we know that on offense this team both schematically is at its best that it's been in the last ten years. But also we know that we have they have they have the talent that they didn't have also that's like functioning at their peak And, and so, yeah, I feel kind of similarly where I'm like, yeah, we'd probably lose to Ohio State, but it would still be really it would be like fun and it feels kind of like you're right it feels kind of like house money emotionally and you know you know you're still gonna score it'll just be kind of you know and you're always getting scored on anyway so what's the difference if it's ohio state doing it
0: (laughs) yeah Yeah. we can give up 40 points to anybody who
1: cares yeah (laughs) you're not special buckeyes yeah
0: (laughs) Uh, um I, I did want to look a little bit further out on the horizon. Uh, we've already heard some conversation about Michael Penix, Rome Dunze, Jalen McMillan, considering uh, the draft versus coming back. I, I think it'd be pretty surprising at this point for any of them to come back. I mean, I, I've always kind of, the hierarchy in my mind has been, Odunze seems most likely to leave, followed by Penix, followed by McMillan. Uh, maybe that's the top two have flipped at this point as mm. the, the draft analysts have caught on to the fact that when he's healthy, Michael Penix checks pretty much every box you would want from a pro quarterback, particularly the the combination of arm strength and ability to read and anticipate defenses. And when I see mock drafts that put him behind Tanner McKee, I, my head explodes. It's just absolute insanity, having watched the two of them uh, kind of think their way through a game. Um, mm-hmm. and just being the Stanford quarterback doesn't mean that you're yeah. um, a smarter in-game decision maker. Yeah, But I, that's that's a digression. <laughs> Plus I, some I,
1: other factors.
0: Yes, yes. <laughs> um, but what, what would you be thinking? I mean, we talked a little bit about how you just have to tune up the defense a little bit um, if you can maintain anything close to this offensive production. Do you think this is replicable next year if we do keep a good chunk of the skill position talent around. I mean, there's some guys who are going to be gone either way, but what would be the ceiling for this team if we did bring those three guys back?
1: Yeah, um, I think if those three guys come back, all I think, I mean, even if you look at this year, like they shouldn't have lost to ASU. So even, you know, even this year, theoretically, this team, I mean, this team wasn't far away from being a playoff team. Granted, would they have won a game in the playoff? no but but that's not what we're (laughs) analyzing um and i think if those three come back then which feels insane to have those words come out of my mouth but there's enough smoke about it right now at this moment where like you know i don't think you could say anything with. i know you can't say anything with certainty but like it's not unreasonable to just have you and i be having this conversation um but yeah i think if they if those three come back then then this team should be in playoff contention um, just to get there, (laughs) nothing further. Um, If they do that and they improve their tackling, then like even to just average, then I feel genuinely good about those chances. If they do that, they improve the tackling to average and they are able to get the secondary to average, which I think would be, that would be the hardest part considering that, you know, both cook is, a senior and um, Asa isn't because of COVID and some other stuff, but he, you know, who knows? Um, I think that, I think, so I think that's, that is the biggest question mark as far as like most easily improvable things that they need to improve on. Um, But if, if you improve tackling to average, you improve secondary to average, which are huge ifs, then, then that this team next year is genuinely, in um, in in the playoff conversation, you know, if if Penix and Odunse and J Mac, if all three of them were to come back, I would be the happiest person in all the <laughs> land.
0: Yeah, that would be pretty exciting. I mean, the hype train—we've started to hear some of the Penix Heisman conversation. He's probably not going to get invited, unfortunately, this year. Um, there are some great candidates. Well, I mean, it's <laughs> don't use your kind logic a, on me. He's been amazing, but there have also been, you know some like the very top teams also yeah. have superstar quarterbacks yeah. and that, that makes it difficult
1: yeah and um, for what it's worth i i personally have just never really cared that much about the heisman because it is you know like when christian McCaffrey loses the heisman like yeah who ca- you know who cares like it's just it's yeah. it's it's just an award yeah. for a guy
0: It's it's like when it when it fully morphed into being the um, who is the quarterback on the best team award. That's kind of when it stopped being fun. Um, Yeah, I don't know if it was really meaningful before, but it was like when Charles Woodson won it. That was that was fun. Yeah, Um, and so things are different now.
1: Yeah, Um, although I totally agree with you. Sorry, one more thing because like I think if you like from what I've seen, I would be like Brock Bowers. RIP yeah. our recruiting memories but like yeah. i would just be like that that look at that man is that javon not the best carter College Javon What's carter it?
0: they're javon carter the defensive lineman at georgia too is like yeah. uh has no counting stats because he's an interior defensive lineman but yeah. you watch like one quarter of georgia football and you're like they're the best team in the country he's their best player yeah um and he's probably the best player in the country.
1: Yeah. I, I totally agree with you as far as like, who's the quarterback on the team that wins it all? Yeah. <laughs> this yeah. is just boring.
0: Yeah. I think I might be wrong about this, but I think Ken Dorsey got invited to um, the downtown athletic club, his final year with Miami, which is preposterous. It's like a below average quarterback on mm-hmm. the best team of all time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, let's leave it there. Uh, let's get into our, our recommendations and plugs. Anything you have uh, coming up or anything you want to let people know about?
1: Yeah. um, Well, first off, I do want to say thank you to like, I'd set up a a coffee account, K O F I, just on a whim, uh, which is, if you're not, if you don't know what that is, it's a thing where you allow people to give you money. (laughs) Oh. Which is a nice thing to have. Um, And so I set one up kind of on a whim. Um, Because, as you know, and everyone who all of our writers knows, like, you know, you make barely beer money doing this. And since I've been doing this for seven years, which feels impossible. Um, So I set up that on a whim and I expected to get like $20 maybe (laughs) from like, I don't know, it's like maybe four people will donate. I'll get like a, a beer. And so far, people have been like a lot more generous than I was expecting I'm not flush with cash or anything but it's nice to be like okay I've I've made a little bit of money
0: (laughs) went from beer money to two beers money
1: (laughs) yeah exactly um so thank you to everybody who did that including including my optometrist which that was fun because um I don't know if you're listening to this Paul hi but I have known him since I was five and he and my mom and aunt have known each other since they were five and uh he's a UW guy so he he's known that I've probably from within the first year or maybe six months of me writing here like seven years ago he I went in for an appointment he was like hey I didn't know you were writing for what's it called so it's fun it's been fun occasionally sneaking in easter eggs in my writing about uh about hey mr eye doctor how's it going <laughs> no one else reading this will know what I'm talking about um but other than that, so other than that, thank you to people for being awesome. Um tomorrow actually so this is today, assuming this is coming out on Thursday. Um to tonight, December first, I will be at Club Comedy in just a just like a not a huge big show or anything, but just a, a local showcase. I think with Isaac Novak will be there. He's very funny. I think Rachel FJ will be there. I'm not quite sure, but a lot of people who are cool. Um, And then Friday, I'll also be at Club doing two shows, just just doing like 10 minutes or so off the top, hosting for Mace Galoni, who's a Canadian comedian who's very, very funny. Um, I don't know him because he moved to Vancouver shortly after I left. Uh, but you should go to that show for him and then you'll see me shortly <laughs> for a little bit. Um, and then saturday i'm not doing any shows because i'm going to the kraken game with my dad because that was his birthday present from me so those See are can
0: score 16 goals
1: oh holy shit that was insane Last, if anyone's not familiar with what andrew just mentioned the kings and the kraken set a record last night for
0: it was or i i didn't know if it was i i figured like this is like four times the normal amount of goals in a hockey game, but I don't yeah. know if it was an actual record.
1: It wasn't the record for like most goals ever, but it was the Kraken one. So Kraken won nine to eight in overtime. Um It wasn't the record for the most goals ever, but it was like the most goals something. Oh, it was like the second most points scored. So including assists, there was 44 points because people will get like secondary assists. Yeah. Um. So if all there were 44 points scored in those s- I don't want to do math. Seventeen goals, which was like the second most ever, or something, and like the most since goalies stopped playing standing up. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so that was my really, really long, uh, long-winded talk. That's cool. I should stop. According should to
0: according to Google, it's the twelfth time in the last forty years that teams have scored at least seventeen goals in a game, which. So a little less rare than I thought, but yeah. um, still quite rare. I think um, most of um, that
1: was like in the eighties. Sorry, continue.
0: Yeah, okay, maybe I'm going to recommend uh, a movie called The Wonder uh, on Netflix, starring Florence Pugh. It was an odd and interesting movie about. Uh, I think it was set in like early nineteenth century um, English countryside or Irish countryside rather. About a um, family that has a a young daughter who doesn't eat, and they are telling their local um like priest that it's a miracle, and she's a saint, and Florence Pugh is a nurse who comes to observe her and determine if she really is like touched by God or something like that uh, and then it kind of gets into the weird family dynamics and the trauma that they've experienced and um she's bringing logic to a highly emotional situation mm-hmm. uh, but then also gets emotionally involved it's a it's a Florence Pugh's very good. So she kind of reminds me of a, like a young Meryl Streep. So I enjoy uh, watching her. It's a good, it's a good movie.
1: That um sounds like something that I both really want to watch but also don't know if I have the bandwidth <laughs> at this particular moment in time.
0: Fair enough. It's <laughs> a, we're in this weird spot where like the only thing um we almost only things we can watch are, for uh u.s based entertainment is things on netflix so we're just plowing through all these things that i never would have watched otherwise but some of them been really good watching a show called i think it's called the inside man with stanley tucci in it very Mm. enjoyable Um, but yeah um that's that is probably enough for now uh any final thoughts before we wrap it up probably our last podcast for a little bit until we play a bowl game
1: that's true tragically I will literally not see you until then. Uh, my last thought is that everyone's mom has a crush on Stanley Tucci.
0: That's all. <laughs> Cut off now. <laughs> everyone's mom. That's good. That's. that's I mean, true. we. I wasn't sure if we had a name for the episode, but that's clearly the name of the episode. There we go. Um,
1: that's why I'm here. Just kidding. Yeah. That's why you're here. Every title is your idea.
0: Yeah, but it's usually something you said. Yeah. Uh, but... Thank you all for listening. Uh, Thank you for a fun season. It's been uh, way more fun than I would have expected and appreciate everybody um, coming along for the ride with us um, talking about it. I've said many times that talking about thinking about writing about the Huskies is a hell of a lot more fun when they're playing well and when they're playing in an entertaining fashion. And this year has been that it's also been fun to see our our buddy Cody Pickett uh, in the headlines again as his single season passing yardage record is under assault from Michael Penix. Uh, I don't know if him getting knocked out of that top spot makes him more or less likely to join him, join us on the podcast, but it, at a very, at very least it's been fun to see his name uh, come up in Twitter and um, Seattle Times stories and whatnot. So uh, hopefully he'll be joining us again or joining us for the first time before the end of the season. <laughs> and We're almost getting closer. So in the meantime, thanks for listening and go dogs.
1: Go dogs, Puff.